I sense that y'all are ready. Let's give it up for the band leading us. And we're, yes, yes. It's almost like there's anticipation, like something's on the way, right? Um, yeah, we, we, may, we may be two weeks out, um, so that's very exciting. Um, there is a distinct chance you might get an email um, two Fridays from now telling you we are going to be meeting at a different place. So um, that's the... That's the absolute best that we can do. So, like, if, we, if it was under our control, we would tell you now, but we can't. So I would just say watch your emails. Um, so the service times are going to change back to our old service times, 9.30 and 11. So we're really looking excited, uh, really excited for that. So lots of things are going to happen in the next two weeks. Um, and so, yeah, get ready. Um, we have been going through a series called Dream On, and uh, wouldn't it be appropriate next week, if that's our last week in this building, that we just did a little Aerosmith tribute, Dream On? I feel like we should do that. I feel like it's going to happen. Um, I'm just speaking it into existence. The band has no idea. Um, but anyway, um, as we've been covering all this ground, um, for those of you that, that haven't been here, uh, Joseph has been carried off into Egypt and has risen to prominence. To He's the really the most powerful person in the world. Um, and uh, Jacob has just found out, which is his father, um, that he is going to be reunited. And that's where Pastor Derek uh, left off last week. And so today we're going to be covering the ground where he's, he's getting ready to head down to Egypt and have a reunion. Very exciting uh, time, very emotional time uh, for Jacob. Imagine you thought you lost something. <laughs> and you thought you'd lost a son for 30 years. And find out that he's alive. Um, I can't even imagine um, how that would go. And so today um, it's going to be a fun sermon, and we're going to be talking about the promises of God. And I want you to think with me before we get cooking here, um, just a little bit about whenever you've tried to uh, schedule hangouts with people. Um, has it, have you ever like said, "Hey, uh, would you be able to go to X?" Okay, let's just imagine any generic scenario, and someone says. Um, yeah, I'll try. I'll try to make it. Like, what's your instant feeling on the inside when it's like, what, what do they say? Let me see. Well, let me, let me see. Um, or they say, like, um, if, I, if I can, if I can, if I can, I'll let you know. Um, well, I got to run it. I got to run it by the wife. I got to check the schedule. You know, schedule's real busy. I'm real important. And, um, and I'll, get, I'll get back with you, right? There's just a certain feeling that comes over you whenever someone says, you know, I'll try. Um, and it's like, you know, not affirming, you know, in your mind, it's kind of like, you know, they don't, they don't really want to go. And if they do show up, it's only because they feel like they have to be there. Um, but it hits a little bit different, right? When someone says, I promise, right? If someone says, I'm going to be there, I promise. Hits a little different, doesn't it? Feels like, oh, like, Man, I can trust that. And isn't there a part of us that wants to trust? Isn't there a part of us that wants to believe when someone promises that we can say, take it to the bank? That's true. As a matter of fact, every pastor, we have a cabal, and we have covenanted together that we include it in every marriage ceremony. We say, I promise before God and these friends and family to honor you, to be faithful and true to you, as long as we both shall live till death parts us. Amen. We say, I promise at the altar. Whenever you have a child, 
it is, it is understood. And maybe, maybe it's not as understood as it used to be. But it should be understood that you are promising to love this child with everything that you have. That's a promise that every parent that conceives a child, that's a promise that you're making. I'm going to love you unconditionally, and for every Christian in the room, you are going to point them towards God's best for their life. That's a promise that every parent should be making, or you shouldn't have a child if you're not going to make that promise. As a matter of fact, whenever you think about it, I bet if we just went down memory lane for just a moment, some of your worst hurts, some of your deepest cuts that you've ever experienced are when people said they promised and they didn't mean it. When they said they promised and then they broke it. I want you to think for a moment just about all the things that have ever been either implied or understood. If you grew up in a broken home, then at some point, someone broke their promise. If you grew up with a broken heart, I guarantee you, at some point, someone broke a promise. In today's world, I think that everyone in this room would agree. Even if you were an atheist, you would agree that it seems like objective truth, universal truth that we can all agree upon is in short supply in today's culture. And the church said, amen. Can you, have you noticed that? There's like almost nothing that we can all agree on anymore, right? Nothing, nothing in culture. And what I love about God is that his word is true. His word is absolute. And it doesn't matter if I take a position on the scripture and I stand on the word of God, the same position I took 30 years ago when I began preaching is the same position I can take today because God's word does not change. In a world full of shifting sand, I would submit to you that every family in here should want something, right? You should want something that is sure, something that is steady, something that you can plant your feet on and know that it is going to sustain you even when the famine comes, even when the storm rises, that you have that foundation. And today's message, where Jacob is at in this story, heading back toward his son Joseph, he's going to need that firm foundation. Now, I don't know if you have it as you sit in here today. I don't know if you've moved away from it, as many of us do, through whatever seasons that we go through in life. But I promise you today is an opportunity for you to return to that which is secure. And so I hope today that you would consider God's word, consider his promises. So Jacob is getting ready to leave and head back to Egypt. Um, and so he's going to be reunited with his son, Joseph. And so those are the main characters in today's story. And if you don't know anything about the Bible, you just need to know that there are three patriarchs in the Old Testament. And that is Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob. And those are going to be important as we go through today's message. And Jacob had 12 sons, and one of them was named Joseph. He got sold into slavery, he rose to prominence, and now we're getting ready to have a reunion, which is the fulfillment of the dream. All right, are you guys ready? All right. Boy, this is going to be a fun one. I hope you guys can handle it. Um, for all of my Bible nerds, today is going to be your day, okay? I, I promise you, except for Dr. Galata that was in the first service, everyone is going to learn something today, okay? Because we are going to be preaching about Beersheba, and that is not Beersheba for all the uh, beer drinkers in the room, okay? And so, Genesis 46, it says, Israel, which we've talked about, uh, I have so much to cover, um, so for those of you that haven't been here for the last 12 weeks, which we're heading into the longest sermon series in Genesis metro history, because we were supposed to be in the building several weeks ago, but we're just going to stretch this one out, if you will. Um, Israel is what God changed Jacob's name to, and it's important that you know that, okay? Israel means God prevails. And so inside of us, Jacob represents the dualism of man, that we have a sin nature that we inherited from our parents. It's literally in our genetic code. So all psychologists struggle with this question of like, is it nature or nurture? And what if I told you it's both? <laughs> that our nature is to sin. So when you see Jacob, that's the natural man. And then when you see Israel, that's the part that God redeems. So that's the spiritual man. So when we accept Christ and the forgiveness of our sins, we become... Israel, if you will. God has prevailed in our lives. God has forgiven in our lives. So as you read this text, I've kind of added in parentheses so that you can kind of see it the way that it's actually being read from a Hebrew mindset. So Israel, which is God prevails, set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices there, which means that he worshiped. He offered sacrifices to God the God of his father, Isaac. And we're going to get into that, but like we've been talking about it for the last several weeks. It feels like that fathers, we want to have a faith that we can pass on. And the church said, amen. Man, every father. Oh, man, I, I'm going to preach to you today. And if you were a father and you just showed up in here because your wife made you or your kids made you, oh, just get ready. You're going to get God slapped up in here today. I promise you. Um, the night, that night, uh, God spoke to Israel. God prevails, right? So he spoke to Israel. But what does he call him? It's just so, oh, I love God's word. It says, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob replied, here I am. That's going to be great later on too. God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. I will make you into a great nation there. I will go uh, down with you to Egypt, but I will also bring you back. Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. And if you know what that means, it means that he's literally going to close his father's eyes as he passes away. And so he's going to have the reunion that he longed for, and then God's going to bring him back. And we're going to figure out why is it important that he is brought back. So I want to get into today's text. And the first thing I want you to, to see is um, this is not the way in Jacob's mind it was planned. So if you don't know um, this, the whole story, Jacob is 130 
years old at this time in this text, okay? At 130, are you trying to move to a whole other place and ride a camel, a horse, or something? Can you imagine? Like 130, I can't imagine. I'm 49, and you tell me to go saddle up a horse. I'm like, no, sir. No, sir. Like, <laughs> I get up on a chair or a ladder, and I really think about it. Honestly, I do. I'm like, come on. Someone come hold this thing, you know? It's like, imagine this is not the way Jacob planned his life. He was already successful. He had over 70 people in his progenity, okay? And so he already had thousands of cows. He already had the land. He already had everything that God had promised Abraham and Isaac. And now you're going to tell me to move? This is, this is not... You can imagine him talking with God. This God, I'm, a, I'm 130 years old. And you want me to ride down to Egypt? And I started thinking about that, and I was like, how many people in here, just by show of hands, um, has anything in your life ever not gone the way that you planned? Just by show of hands. Okay, okay. Here's a little secret I'm going to tell all the people that are younger than 49. When you get to 49, in all probability, there will be more that did not go the way you planned than did go the way you planned. And all the people said, I promise you, we plan on having two children, and we have three. Anybody else in here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of surprises, folks. I didn't, I didn't expect, oh, 25 years old, lead pastor, senior pastor, uh, leave it all and move to Frisco, Texas with nothing but the clothes on your back, right? I didn't, I didn't plan that. And I, I recently just gained perspective on this, all right? I, honestly, maybe this was just an aloof moment, like a, a Ray Romano type of moment here, but like I had my poor wife move roughly, I think, six or seven times the first two years that we were married because we were a seminary and I was helping this little country church then up as a student, all this stuff. And I never even thought about it. Like, this is till last week, okay? I just want y'all to know. Like, this is the, the, the delay. And I don't know if there's any other husbands in here that need to, like, kind of have some realizations and maybe make some amends. Um, but I literally came home from our trip that we're, we're shooting a series that's going to launch probably in January. But it was a trip down memory lane. And, and I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about it. That I bet she didn't get married and think, I can't wait to move six times. And the places we were living, it wasn't like it was getting better, okay? It was, <laughs> you could say, Shanna, you could say, I mean, I mean, not say, but you could say that it might have been getting worse, okay? Um, and so you think about your life and the way you planned it, and if you're not really careful, when it doesn't go the way you planned, you can get frustrated. When everything doesn't line up and the, the I's aren't dotted, T's aren't crossed, you know who you are, all my OCD people. In it. And you're like, God, this is not the way I planned it. If you're not careful, you can be good holding God in contempt because it didn't go the way that you planned. And I want to strongly encourage you that the promise that God has for you is worth it not going the way that you planned. Because in the end, it's not about your plan. It's about God's plan. 
And the church said, amen. Let me say it again for the people in the back. Just remember, Frisconian, it's not about your plan. It's about God's plan. It's not about your plan for your profession. It's about God's. It's not about your plans for your children if you're a Christian. It's about God's plan. All right, just, just check it in. It's not about your plan for your money. It's about, oh, what? what, what huh? Okay, just, just checking. I'm just trying to make you say it out loud. It says that when he left out with all that he had, he went to this place called Beersheba. And it says that he offered sacrifices. I want to tell you something. This is a universal principle, and this is where a lot of people, uh, I think, get messed up. Uh, we're going to call this one worship where you are. Worship where you are. He is not in what he planned. He is now in what God planned. And the best thing to do when you don't know what to do is build an altar and worship God. You have to learn to worship where you are. So many times we don't understand the distinction between where we are and where we are meant to be. You see, there's a lot of places that you're going to be along the way to where you were meant to be. And so many people are fixated on things in their past. Now, that could be good things, and it could be bad things. But if we're living in the past, we are certainly not in the present. And then some people are so fixated on the future. They're thinking about where they want to be, where they're going to be, but they are not where they are. And I'm going to encourage you, worship where you are. Um, there was a, a great quote by a famous missionary named Jim Elliott. And he says, wherever you are, be all there. Live every situation to the hilt that you believe to be the will of God. Okay? I want you to begin thinking about that and asking yourself when it comes to your faith. Just, just you know what, let's just be honest. Right now, okay, right now, are you all here? Are you all here? Or are you thinking about the food? Are you thinking about the game? Are you thinking about the fight that you already had before you got to church and then you got out of the car and then people are like, okay, put your smile on, kids. You know, how's things going? Things are going great. And just in the car, you were like, why did you? You're never on time. And why did you? And just get the kids. And the kids weren't ready. And you're like, get out and get your food. And why'd you spill it anyway? And they're like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, going great. Yeah. It's good to be here today. I'm on the greeting team. <laughs> Don't tell me. I know my people. I know my people. Jacob was where he was at. It wasn't what he planned, but he said, this is where I'm at. So I'm going to be all here. I'm going to worship right here. I want to encourage you. When it comes to church, how many times are you all here. And then what is it that God's trying to get you, get to you, changing you, and if you're not all here, how many times are you missing the message that God was going to use to radically reconstruct areas that are broken down in your life? Wherever you are, be all there. 
How many times do I see people that are there, but they're not there? Just imagine in a marriage, if you're not all there, imagine in the conversation that you're not even listening, you're not even paying attention to the clues, and they're constantly flying all around you, but you're not all there. Imagine I see parents going to games, and they're sitting in the stands at their kids' games, and what are they doing? What are they doing? What? On their what? Now their kid is on the court. Their kid is on the field. The kid is dancing at the recital, and they're on their, the phone. And what are they doing? Are they, are they closing some $10 million deal that's going to pay for our church? <laughs> I submit to you, no. You're doing stupid things, okay? You're scrolling some Instagram, TikTok, I don't know, next menu for a next meal, some stupid Kardashian, what's the latest thing? I don't know what you're scrolling, but your kid is on the freaking field, man. What are you doing? Be all there for your kids. Be all there. How in the world are you ever going to convince them that you love them the way that God loves them if you're not all there? If the spirit man inside of you, if Israel hasn't prevailed, how are you going to be all there? I'm just trying to say that I think if some people would realize that God is going to, or God is worth you being all in, I think it would change your life the way you look at church and serving and the, the value of your faith inside of your relationships. Worship where you are. And then I want to go into a quote that I think describes Jacob. And I'm going to go to Pastor Coach Prime from yesterday's game. Um, he, quote, said, they have separated themselves from their yesterday. They have separated themselves from their yesterday. He said, now what is that talking about, Tim? I'm going to tell you. Um, there was this guy named Omerion and there was this guy named McLean, and they were freshmen. One was a five-star uh, corner and the other one is a four-star receiver. And they had not got on the field almost at all, maybe four plays in the first four games. And so in the second half, they're trailing 34-7, to seven, I believe, um, to USC. And all of a sudden, this Omerian kid gets in, and he balls out, has 196 yards receiving in the second half. And everybody... Everybody, the announcers, I know I was like, who is this? I've watched every game. I haven't seen this guy. So afterwards, they asked him in the press conference, and he said, yeah, I don't know who that guy is either. He goes, that's, that's not the guy that we saw in practice. He goes, his yesterday was terrible. He goes, but today, he separated himself from his yesterday. And I thought, oh, man, I can preach that. I can preach that, Coach Prime. <laughs> Give it to me. Every week he just drops my little nugget in my sermon for me. Just helps me out. We have this connection. And I thought, Jacob, if you know anything about Jacob, he swindled his brother out of his birthright for a bowl of beans and rice. He literally waited till his brother was hungry one day. And some of you, you know who you are. You'd be willing to deal your firstborn when you get hangry for a nice juicy steak, you know? And all of a sudden, 
You know, Esau comes in. He's like, oh, I'm famished. I would just got to die. He's like, oh, for your blessing, I will uh, give you a bowl of red beans and rice. And he's like, yes. He's stupid, okay? Esau, very dumb, okay? But Jacob was constantly manipulating people. That's what his name means. That's what he was born. That's his sin nature. He was trying to get God's blessing, but he was trying to get it his way. And he had to constantly cheat people in order to get the favor of God on his life. And so now he's sitting there and he's, he's becoming Israel. And so now he's at the point in his life where he's wrestled with God and God changed his name. And now he's on the way to reunite with his son. And instead of trying to figure it out, Jacob is now Israel. And Israel isn't trying to figure it out anymore. Israel's trying to faith it out. That's what I'm trying to say. So many people in here, you're stuck in your Jacob. And your Jacob is crafty. Your Jacob has money. Your Jacob is intellectually able to craft. You've always been able to figure it out. And that's what Jacob was for the longest time. And some, some point, I promise you, life is going to break you. And you'll no longer be able to figure it out. What do you do when you can't make them do what you want them to do anymore? What do you do when your job tells you you are no longer required? What do you do when your business all of a sudden is dried up and you can't make? What do you do then? How are you going to figure that out? At some point, I submit to you, your Jacob has to die so that your Israel can live. And instead of you trying to figure it out, how about letting God faith it out? How about that? How about we let God be who he is in our lives instead of us trying to wrestle God for the glory? I'm telling you, someone in here needs to hear this. Oh, what if it was like a, a last chance Sunday for someone? What have you been trying to figure it out all your life? And you've just gotten by, just gotten by. But God is constantly using the famines and the failures to try to position you. He has an Israel that's inside of you that he's trying to bring to the surface. I just wonder if there's someone in here who needs to let God prevail. You see, Jacob built an altar. And he said, God... What do you want me to do? Now that's not Jacob. That's Israel. And all the times that Jacob's passed, it was like, I'm going to do what I want to do, and then I'm going to try to ask God to bless what I did. I'm going to choose who I want to choose, and then ask God to fix it. I'm going to take the job that paid the most and then I'm going to ask God to figure... I'm going to buy the house and not pray about it and then I can't... You see, I can go on and on. I can just do this all day. Wouldn't it be better to ask God first? Like before you said I do, is there anyone in here that would tell someone like before you, before you put a ring on it, maybe consult the Lord? Anybody? Anybody? Somebody say Amen. You ever know someone that didn't consult the Lord and put a ring on it? Woo! Tell you what, don't do it. Don't do it. It says that Jacob built an altar 
And he did that first. Before he even left town, this is the last city on the southernmost border of Israel, Beersheba. He's like, God, this isn't what I planned. I'm 130 years old. I'm on a donkey, and I'm riding to Egypt to meet my son that my other sons apparently said was dead. But it turns out he's alive. i got to get an altar. i got to get a church. i gotta, I got to get to church. That's what I need to do. That should be your brain. Whenever things start going crazy in your life, it's probably a good signal to you. You need to get to church, build an altar, and worship where you are. Don't worship where you're going to be. Don't worship where you used to be. Worship where you are. God will get you to where you need to be, where you're supposed to be, but you've got to worship where you are. Jacob had turned the page. He had separated himself from what he used to be. He had separated from his yesterday. And I just want to preach to all the Jacobs in the room and tell you it is possible. It is possible. You do not have to be defined for the rest of your life by your yesterday. You could turn the page today and you could say, I want the Israel in my life. I want God to prevail. I want to surrender and let God be God. That's the first half. Are you guys ready for the second half? Now, I don't have time to preach all these verses, okay? So this is not an exercise. I don't think good sermons is me reading to you um, 15 verses, okay? But I'm going to cover several hundred years of history in 10 minutes, okay? So this is the part where you're going to have to, like, hold your breath, okay? So what was the city that Jacob stopped at? What was the name of that city? It's a weird name. Beersheba. We're all going to say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Beersheba. Okay? Beersheba. I'm going to say it like 30 times because some of you, when you read the Bible, you just read it and you're like, oh, what's that? Beersheba next, you know? No. It's all there for a reason. Beersheba is incredibly important. You say, why? Well, it all starts with Abraham. Abraham was out in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. Okay? And if you wonder where Ur is, it's exactly where it sounds like it is. It's out in the middle of nowhere. And God has this ability to find you in the most crazy places. Like I suppose some of you are sitting in here today and God found you at a place that looked a lot different than where you're at right now, right? In a season of life that would not look like what your life looks like right now. He called Abraham and he gave him a promise. And this is the promise. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. All you have to do is follow my lead, Abraham. And Abraham had to go home and tell his wife that we are leaving, and we are going to the promised land. Now, you know Sarah's first question, and where is that? He didn't tell me. Can you imagine? Imagine your husband just coming home today and saying, Babe, we're moving. Where are we moving? I don't know. God told me that we are to leave everything and just trust Him. Some of you would have a hard time with that. It would shake your head up and down. Would you have a hard time with that? Yes, you would. He leaves everything and He journeys, and it says at the age of like 90 plus, His barren wife finally conceives the promise child that they had been waiting on that was impossible for her to have 
and she conceives and has this son, and his name is Isaac. And God even has a sense of humor. Isaac means laughter. So literally 20 years after the promise that God had given him that he would have a son, he reiterated the promise, and he was sitting down talking with Abraham, which I don't even know what that's like, sitting down, you're having a conversation with God Almighty, right? And he's like, yeah, remember that son next year? She was in the kitchen, literally in the kitchen, and she started laughing out loud. And God's like, I heard that. You ever, you ever had that feeling? Like sometimes I get that feeling with Carrie. Like I say things I think she doesn't hear. And she's like, I heard that. And I'm like. <laughs> he goes, you laughed. She goes, no, I didn't. <laughs> it's like God's in here. He's preaching to you today. You're like, eh, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, that's not for me. That's for, that's for him. That's for her. He's like, you'll call your son laughter because the day that I promised, you laughed. Now you tell me that God doesn't have a sense of you. That's crazy. Like, God, call your shot, laugh. Anyway, that's just crazy. So then Isaac is born, okay? Isaac grows up. And when he's around 18 years of age, God comes back to Abraham with the ultimate test. No human ever tested greater than Abraham, probably. He says, Abraham, will you give the child back? Will you sacrifice your son? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Here is Abraham holding the child that he's been waiting on essentially a hundred years, and now God is asking to give it back. And I wonder how many people are sitting here today holding on to your Isaacs. And God has blessed you beyond anything you could ever imagine. As a matter of fact, how many times did you promise God, God, if you would just give me X, if you just give me a, a husband, if you just give me a wife, if you'll just give us a kid, if you'll just give us a house, if you'll just give us a job, and he's given you all that and more. And yet, when he says give it back, Do you know where Abraham received this test? He was at Beersheba. The place where God tested him the most was at Beersheba. And, and look at what his response was. He said, as soon as God said, Abraham, he said, here I am. Here I am. Do you remember what Jacob said up there? Do you guys remember when he was at Beersheba and he built a side and God said, hey, Jacob. He didn't call him Israel. He called him Jacob. He said, he said, Jacob, Jacob, he said, what did he say? Here I am. Wouldn't it be incredible if every father in here, every grandfather in here had such an incredible faith that when your children one day faced the famines of their future, they could recall that my father said, when God called, here I am. My grandfather said, here I am. Wouldn't that be an incredible legacy for you to desire that you set such an example that when your kids are called upon, they say, here I am, God. Whatever you want, God, here I am. A father, a grandfather, and a grandson. So here is Abraham at Beersheba, and he says, God, I'll give it back. I'll give it back. They go up the mountain. God provides a substitute. We know the story. Such a gospel presentation. And Isaac saw that day the faith of his father. When they come back down, the famine hits, and they have to go to this land, land of the Philistines, and there's a king named Abimelech. And 
this place uh, during the famine, it's, it's a real dry, arid place. There's not any water. So as Abraham gets there, he has to dig a well. And that's the well that they were going to use to water and water their, uh, their, uh, their herds and also to provide water and sustenance for their family. Well, the favor was on Abraham everywhere he went, and so he started multiplying. And this king named Abimelech, he saw the blessing that was on Abraham and that they were multiplying, and he got concerned. He was like, well, you guys are getting so big that you're going to be more powerful than us, and so I want to make a truce before anything jumps off. And so he goes out to Abraham, and he says, hey, let's make a deal. I'll never mess with your people if you'll never mess with my people, because I see the favor, and this is a pagan, I see the favor of God on your life, and I don't want to mess with the favor of God that's on your life. And so they made a deal, and it was at this well. And this well became the well of oath. And Beersheba means the well of oath. So this is where the deal was made. Fast forward, Abraham dies. Isaac is now married to Rebekah, which was an arranged marriage that God literally brought the woman into his life that he was going to fall in love with and that had picked out for him, and he just had to wait and be obedient to God's word and that the right woman would come along. And all the single people said, man, you better hold on for the right one. Hold on for the right one. And the church said, man, don't give up and take the wrong one. Woo! Mess you up. Now Isaac is with Rebekah, and he's living that same nomad life that his father did. A famine arises. So a famine drove Abraham to Beersheba, and guess where the famine drives Isaac? Right back to Beersheba. And he, the, the people <laughs> were so jealous of the favor that was on Abraham's life that they filled all of his wells with sand. <laughs> so when Isaac goes back there, they have to like start taking the sand out, and then they start digging their own wells. And every time they dig a well and they hit water which it's amazing how God's man could walk into a land that he'd never been to, dig and hit water, right? It's almost like God's on his side, you know, like God provides. And that's a whole other sermon. I won't get into that. But we're going to talk about these wells, believe it or not, and you're going to like it, okay? <laughs> so every time they would dig a well, the shepherds from Abimelech, still king, by the way, would come over and say, hey, that's our water. And I'm sure that on some level... You know, Isaac is like, yeah, but I just dug that well, so how could that be yours? And so he started naming them after what was happening, and he called the first well dispute. He digs a second well, and as soon as they hit water, here come the people from Abimelech, this Philistines, and they're like, hey, that's our water. And he names the second one opposition, and he moves on from the second one. He digs a third well. He hits water. And this time, they leave him alone. There's no quarreling with the shepherds. Because we all know you get a bunch of shepherds together, there's going to be some quarreling, right? And so it says the sign was that they didn't mess with him, and so he called that place, God has given us room. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Abraham went to this place called Beersheba, and he dug a well, and then his son Isaac returned to the same place that his father had dug, but he had to dig his own well. And even when he dug his own well, there was a dispute. And then there was opposition before they got to the place that God had provided inside the promise. Man, I started thinking about that. 
Because Jacob is now in a moment where he's freaking out because he's getting ready to have to do something that he didn't plan on doing. He's going to have to take all of his people, like every single one of them, down to Egypt. And where does he end up? Beersheba. The same place that God made a promise to my grandfather. The same place that God reaffirmed the same promise to my father is the place that the grandson ends up calling upon the name of the Lord, and God says, Jacob, Jacob. Now, we already said his name had been changed to Israel. So why would he call him Jacob if his name is, like, don't want you to be called Israel? Like, wouldn't you want to be called God prevails versus trickster, swindler, cheat? You know, you don't want to be called that. What if I told you the part of God was commending, or the, God, the part of God, the part of Jacob that God was reaching out to was his humanity? You know the part that was worried? You know the part that was concerned? You know the part that had a checkered past? He said, Jacob, I see you. I see you. What if I told you, this blows my mind, that God has eight billion people on this planet, and yet he sees you. Like, does that blow your mind? Like he sees you. Like the sermon that you needed. This is what I know. That you'll walk out of here today and if you were all here, you'll be like, wow. It felt like he was preaching just to me. How does that work? Because he sees you. He sees you. And I thought to myself, if Abraham isn't willing to leave it all, you could call Abraham the pioneer. And then Isaac was the promise. And then Jacob was the prodigal. And in one of those three, you'll find yourself in different seasons of life. There's always something to leave. There's always a promise to receive. And then there's always a prodigal point in your life where you need a place to go back to. Jacob is sitting at this well. Jacob is building this altar at the same place his dad and his granddad was. And the first thing that he says to Joseph, they have this reunion and they hug down in Egypt and they're crying and it says that they wept for a long time. It literally says they wept a long time. So if you're waiting for 30 years thinking your child is dead and now you're in bread, like you can't, like, let it blow your mind. And then the first thing that Jacob says to Joseph, he says, swear to me, you will not bury me here in Egypt when I die. He says, swear to me that you will take me back and you'll bury me in Shechem with my father and my grandfather. And Joseph swears it. Now you say to yourself, what is the significance of the soil? Because why does it matter? where you're buried. Why does it matter where you're, like, right? You're already dead, so what does it matter? Because it wasn't about the place. What do you think it was about? It was about the promise. God had promised Abraham. He promised Isaac. And he promised Jacob. And Jacob wanted to be buried in the promise. I started thinking, wow. I don't know if y'all heard about this, but turns out, I'm a grandfather. 
Just found out this week. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty excited about it. Looking like a granddaughter, could be grandson, looking like a granddaughter. Inconclusive at this point. I thought about that and I thought, you know, when God called us, it was very clear. We had just had our son. He was less than a year old. And God said to me, don't you want to build something better for your son? Isn't there a better way to do church? Isn't there a better way to do church where people can come and have authentic community, worship God, and even those that are far from God can walk in into a place where they don't feel like that's their tribe yet, they're skeptical, they have all these questions, they've had bad experiences, they've heard bad rumors, and all those people down at the church are hypocrites, which is true, including the guy that's standing on this stage, because none of us are perfect, we don't have it together, that's why we come to church, because we don't have it together. But God said, I promise, I promise that if you are willing to leave everything, I will bring it to pass. And in a few short weeks, and then in a few short months, there'll be three generations of borns worshiping at 3330 El Dorado. The grandfather, the sons, and the granddaughter. Are you telling me that God cannot bring it to pass? God says, I promise. And I want you to know that Genesis Metro, we make the same promise to you. The, ch the promises never change. The vision doesn't change. The vision stays the same. We promise, number one, to preach the Word of God without reservation and without compromise. Number two, we promise to love you more than you deserve. I promise you that in our sin nature, there's a lot of us that is unlovable. And at Genesis Metro, we are committed to loving every person that walks through the doors. We promise to commit to saving as many souls as we possibly can. And we define our bottom line, not by the traditions that might exist in our church. I guarantee you, there's going to be someone first week at 3330, they're going to be like, I just, I just miss old 9750. I just miss the plumbing supply. I just miss the leaky roof. And I just, I just miss the, the concrete floor that's stained up. I just remember, I just miss all of it. You know, it's just, it was just different. It, just, it was just different back then. Hey, listen. Worship where you are. We have always been about saving souls. We will always be about saving souls. And we will change everything and spend every dollar to see as many souls saved as possible. And that will not change. The last promise, we promise to be a community that you can count on. When you walk through the door, we will love you like you are family. And I hope that some of you, because I know, I, I, see, I see you, okay? Some of you, you don't like all the, you know, like, don't touch me. I know. I see you, you know? Like, you know, you ever, like, go up, try to hug somebody, like, you know, like. <laughs> but listen, the reason why you're standoffish like that, I promise you, is there's something that's broken inside of you. There's some of you, something you, you, the love that you were supposed to get in that promise, you didn't get it. And as a result, you're distrusting. And at some point in your life, you're going to need community. And then at some point, I hope that you're willing to say, Jesus comes first in my life so that you can 
be community for other people. At Genesis Metro, we made a promise that we were going to live our lives authentically and we're going to come before you and we're going to share God's word and God's truth. And because we committed to a promise 20 years ago, you're sitting in this room today. I say all that to say, if you'll commit your life to God's promises, he'll take you places that you never dreamed possible. He has a better plan than you could ever concoct. The plans he has for your children are better than you could even imagine. But you gotta stay the course. You gotta worship where you are. And then God will get you to where you were meant to be. Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that every father, every grandfather in the room would keep digging. Abraham dug his well, Isaac dug his well, and Jacob worshiped at the well. Man, every father needs to keep digging because someday your son, your daughter, they're going to be in a famine and they're going to need something. And if you didn't dig when it was your turn to dig, they're not going to have what they needed in their famine. I challenge you, every father in the room, that you would keep digging for your future. Even when it didn't go the way that you planned, even when it's crazy, even when the unexpected happens, that you stay the course, and when you hear God calling, you say, here I am. Here I am, God. We're going to invite you to worship with us at this time, and I pray that as we do so, that you would be like Jacob. That you would say, here I am, God. This is my life. This is my family. This is my marriage. This is all yours, God. I offer it to you. Take me to where I was meant to be. Would you guys worship with us? Please stand.